happy summer, everyone. We are back with your week with St. Luke's Ask the Pastor Anything edition. And we are in what we're calling session two, um, where we're just going to start um, asking some kind of easy questions about the Bible. You all asked a lot of questions about the Bible and also um, kind of some theological questions about equity and equality and how to read the Bible and and so we're going to get to that in another episode, but we're going to start with some easy questions. But I forgot, wait, first we have to start with the questions, pastors, about us. So let me ask this. <laughs> what is something people don't know about you? Oof. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they don't know. Right. My social security number. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good answer. Yeah. yeah. We, 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 did, we did say on Ask the Pastors, that's not on the table, that we no, will not be answering no. social security number and <laughs> mother's maiden name. But no. um, I probably, I would say one of the things that a lot of people probably don't know about me um, is that um, I grew up um, uh, the daughter of a teacher and an artist. Um, my mom was a professional artist and like painter, like watercolor into a bunch of different things, but that both of my parents um, were military brats. So both of my grandfathers were career military. One um, was a master sergeant in the Marine Corps and one was um, a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. So um, a lot of my upbringing centered around a lot of, even though my parents weren't in the military, um, there was just a lot of um, the military around uh, my my world. And so getting to know my grandparents and hearing, um, you know, their stories of moving all the time, which I guess prepares you to be a Methodist pastor, right? Um, but but those were some of the the stories I remember growing up with both of my grandparents, so. Chad, got anything? Oh, Chad just froze. Oh, there he is. There we go. I'm back. Did you miss me? Do you have anything? Well, what people, do you... people don't know is sometimes I freeze. <laughs> <laughs> and my internet's uh, doing something weird. Um, I don't. I'm a Floridian, but I was born in Texas. But I think a lot of I think people know that. But my dad is a Methodist pastor, and his first appointment was at. Pomacia United Methodist Church um, in Tampa, where my elder sister was born. And then uh, two years later, he, his second appointment was outside of the Florida Conference in Lubbock, Texas. And uh, he served there for two years. And a year and a half into that, I was born. And um, so I don't, I'm a Floridian. I've lived in Florida for 45 years, but um, I was born in Texas. That's why I'm six foot two and everyone else in my family is 5'10", because everything's bigger. Got it. It took me a moment to figure out where the joke was on that, but I got it now. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, something somebody doesn't know. I feel like I've been here 16 years. I'm a bit of an open book. Um, but probably like I don't think many people know that my brother is in a heavy metal rock band. <laughs> and and at 63, um, and is the drummer and songwriter. And, um, I won't say the name cause it's probably just, well, anyway, it's stone bone, which is just fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he keeps, he keeps us all grounded <laughs> and is pretty, pretty cool. So yeah, that's, that's my, I remember when we did those videos for hurricane relief for the buckets, 
yeah challenge and you were channeling your brother i was i was just playing the drums yeah yeah man (laughs) yeah he's a recording studio in his in his in his house and yeah it's kind of cool so all right let's get into the bible so first of all let me ask an easy one what what translation it says what bible's version do you use and why but it's translation um so which translation do you like and why so i i mean i can start i i i think probably all of us will answer this it depends (laughs) Um, that that chances are we will all uh use a lot of different translations um for different purposes um if you were in worship with us um when i preached on psalm 23 i had a whole reading that i wrote together of four different translations all mixed together um and and so um you will often hear us in worship use the CEB, the Common English Bible, which is a newer translation um, that takes into account some newer um, scholarship and um, some some um, older manuscripts um, of scripture. Um, and then the other that we, I would guess most of us start with are probably the CEB and the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. So I'll start there and let everybody jump in there. So And there's an update on that one too. There's a yes. New Revised Standard Version updated version. So so, so go ahead and answer, Jad, and then let's talk about what a translation means. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I use the CEV personally for my personal devotion time. It's the first translation I go to uh, when I'm doing my exegetical work for a sermon. Um, but right after that, I go to the NRSV, which is what I preferred before uh, the CEV was was published. Um, and I, you know. So why are there different translations? Why are there? Book there sales. Are- no, I <laughs> uh, <laughs> merchandising, merchandising. How do you get a different translation? Yeah. So I think I think it's interesting when this this isn't answering exactly your question, but framing some of it is um part of the reason we get so many questions about the Bible um, are are because of teachings that are not our teachings of taking scripture literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Bible being infallible and inerrant. Um, and, and so when we talk about translations, it kind of, kind of puts into question what those things mean for me, um, because which version is inerrant, which version should we take literally? Um, because what we see is that, um, we get to, we get versions, I would say in two different ways. One is that over time, um, scholarship grows. Um, we, we have archaeologists who at over time discover, um, older manuscripts, older versions of the same gospels or letters or whatever it might be that had been shared. Um, and so some of what you get, um, particularly, I mean, taking the NRSV, um, as an example, the RSV is what probably a lot of you all grew up. If you grew up Methodist with in your, um, in your pews, um, the, the new revised standard version that I believe came out like eight nine-ish, somewhere around there, Mm -hmm. was because there was new scholarship and there were the experts on language and and the archaeologists and all of those things had had discovered something that was closer to the time of when this would likely have been written. So that's one of them. Um, And then the other one, Jad can probably speak to more than than I can of of, uh, linguistic interpretation differences in Hebrew and Greek. So I'll, I'll pass it off there. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's about it because that's why they're called translations and not versions because they are right. translations. And so 
Um, the earliest of manuscripts we have of New Testament are from the uh, late second, if not third century. Right. Um, and they are copies. We know that they're copies. They're, they're not from when they originally came from. We can date those texts because of evidence within the text. Um, but we didn't have the printing press until about 500 years ago. So right. we're dealing with also 50, about 1500 years of scribal copying. And so um, um, you have scribes who will be looking at a, a, a book that they're going to, they're copying and somebody has written something in the margin and the scribe not being familiar with the text, will just add that in. Um, there's a lot of new scholarship around John, John nine and mm -hmm. Mary, uh, the amygdala, like Mary, the fortress. Um, and we're just being, it's early, early, early documents. Like Melissa was saying is, is pointing to, oh, that was a scribal edition trying to smooth out to make it like Luke with Mary and Martha. So anyways, there's fascinating things that are happening there. So we're dealing with Hebrew and Greek and some Aramaic uh, into Latin for a long time. The longest yeah, right. running Bible Vul is the Vulgate. Vulgate, I believe is what it was called. Yeah. Yeah. I love that word. St. Jerome, <laughs> he translated himself. Um, and it was the, the number one selling Bible still to this day, because it was for over a thousand years. Uh, so, um, and it was all in Latin. Um, and then the, when the printing press comes along, then, um, Luther and a few other protesting Catholics, what they were reformers, uh, began to translate in the language of the people, which was German and some English people. Um, and the printing press enabled them to get it out there to people. Mm -hmm. um, but then you then you're going into English, mm -hmm. right? So um, so for me, what's important though, the reason I like NRSV and CEB is because they have a large translation board, mm -hmm. right? And they're on small groups, and they they have to present their work and prove to a large group of people, lay people, pastors, and scholars from all kinds of different backgrounds, why this is the translation. Whereas other translations have smaller boards and different qualifications. Um, so you're getting there's, strong translations. Yeah. And there's also different ways of translating. Um, and, and you can find online different um, uh, charts that will tell you which translation translates in a certain way. Um, for example, the ESV, the English Standard Version, translates word by word. So it is literally trying to translate individual words at a time, um, which comes up with some interesting sentences at times. Right. Um, there are there are some translations that translate um, phrase by phrase because you know we use multiple words to mean one thing in different languages. Um, and then there are some words, some translations that that sort of go beyond that and go sort of idea by idea, um, which I would say is where the NRSV um, and CEB tend to land is trying to get the whole of what is meant. Um, and and bring it into a modern language, um, even if it's not exactly the same words that we would translate in the same way. Um, yeah. So it's interesting just to, I think for people to do an exercise to kind of think about how, how things get shaped and where it goes back to, is it infallible and inerrant, which means there's no mistakes in it. And it is, it, it's word for word, literal, you know, I was just in Rwanda with Zoe and they speak, Rwanda has kind of two sort of languages um, and uh, kind of North and South Rwandan, so to speak. 
Um, and, and so depending on which group of children we were seeing, they had different people who would translate, different social workers who would translate, and they would sometimes have to go through epiphany because um, the translators both spoke English, but even they couldn't necessarily agree what the right English translation was right. to kind of go, okay, well, there's there's no English word for this, and and this actually means something in North Rwanda versus South Rwanda, and so again, three different kinds of paraphrasing before it, translating before it came to us. And then we have to come back to America and, and translate and paraphrase, mm-hmm. you know, a fourth time. And so just, just that experience alone, you mm-hmm. take that through then 1500 years or longer to understand it is difficult for us as people who look to at the historical context, who look at the languages, who look at these ideas of who Jesus was and what does it all mean? And, and, you know, what is the Bible trying to tell us? It it is difficult to sit in the space of this is literal. Yep. Just with that example. Yeah. I mean, I think about going to, going to Cuba uh, in 2015 and uh, Luki is our staff member and she's our translator and she's from Guatemala. They're both speaking Spanish, but right. very different. And she'd have right. to ask them to slow down because in Cuba they speak very fast, but they use different terminologies for different things. And so there are things that are just lost in translation between two Spanish speaking people. So mm-hmm. a great phrase uh, we learned in seminary was translation requires adjudication. You have to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So every translation you read, every Bible you read, it's in English. Somebody had to make decisions for you right? about what you're reading. And so to, to know that going in to read it um, helps then reading it, helps then you to adjudicate and understand and make decisions about what it's saying and challenging your life. So. so that's a great segue into this question. How do you determine the Bible's validity then? So what do we do with that? Like, where is, if it's not infallible and inerrant, then what is the, what it's, what is the point? And what do we believe about the Bible then as Wesleyans? Right. Well, first, uh, I think we said this in, in, in traditional on this question, uh, that infallibility and uh, inerrancy are very new concepts to Christianity. Yes. Um, it is not something that Christians thought about or said about scripture uh, until about 20th century. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the 20th century that we just had, like the one that you probably were We're still alive. That many people lived through. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the one, not, not a, not another 20th century, like this 20th century. Right. (laughs) And part of what's the problem with that is it leads towards idolatry to where we're worshiping the Bible and not the God that the Bible bears witness too, right? Yeah, there was accusations in the in the Protestant Reformation of creating a paper pope. So mm-hmm. we were we were trying to solve one issue with the church and then created another idol in it and and setting that in a different place. But kind of label that, right? Yeah. I and again, if anyone has heard me talk about this, you know, I go straight to this is God, this is story. Um, and, and story, uh, is, is something that communities and cultures will write over time. It's how we get, um, you know, all of our, it's honestly how we get history of, of any kind is the ways that people have chosen to tell their stories beyond their own experience. Um, and so, so the Bible is, is always true because it's someone's experience of God. It's, it's the way that someone has told their story of working out their relationship with God and with one another. 
Um, and so, so that's always going to be something that is valid to me is, is what your experience of, of how you have wrestled with God and wrestled with understanding the world around you and, and wrestled with, um, what to do in, in moments of great, um, trial. Um, you know, it's, it, when, when we think about our own stories, uh, thinking about how we try to make sense of our world, which right now is pretty challenging some days to, to look at the world around us and go, what's going on and where is God in this? Yep. The same, it's the same process that, that the people and the cultures and the communities that wrote what is in scripture did for themselves. Um, and we have those experiences then to, to read and to learn from so that we then maybe can, can have some guidance in how we read our own context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I love, love the Bible. Um, and I love it so much. I can't, literally read it. I have to read it literally, right? I can, I have to read it literally. Um, and, and how is it, is it valid? It's in that, pre, it's in how it spoke to, uh, to, like Melissa was saying, to, to, to people in their time and their context. Um, I, I love that it's multivocal or polyvocal, that there's many voices that brought it about, not, not one, that there, there's so many different backgrounds. Uh, and there are many different backgrounds and many different authors and voices for the, through a large period of time. And it, um, and it's their experience of the living God and how they understand God and, and how that, that, that grows and changes over time as we grow to understand God. I, I think that's absolutely fascinating. I, I love, and also how it's been preserved. Like these are in some ways, very historical documents, a lot absolutely. of them. And, and that they capture, um, the defeat of people, of the people who are writing it. And that's historically not something that happens in other cultures. They don't, you know, maintain and tell the stories of how they were destroyed and their beloved city was ruined and their temple, their center of cultic identity and worship was gone. Um, but these, these ancient people captured that and, and preserved that and told that story. And, um, it just is absolutely fascinating to me. And, and I, I, I give it the authority we give the Bible the authority we choose to give it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I give it that authority in my life. But again, I love, I love it so much. I, it begs me to ask questions of it. It begs me to, to f- be frustrated with it. And it begs me to, to learn, you know, language and hear other people's perspective. I didn't hear it that way. I hear it this way and this and this and that. And that's how God moves in my life. Like that opens so many doors for me. And I think that's God at work. Mm-hmm. So well, and what did Wesley say? It contains everything we need. Everything necessary for salvation. salvation. Right. Because it contains God's story, the story of God and God's people. It, it contains the story of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, it, it contains it contains the story of, of God loving God's people and how we continue historically in the cyclical nature of humanity to reject that love and try to do it on our own. And then we fail and we realize we need God and we come back to God and it contains God's infinite love that gave us Jesus Christ and, and, and how that was lived out. It contains the power of the Holy spirit at work in us. And I love that it was inspired by God and mm-hmm. there is truth when, when people who have been inspired by God and touched by Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit tell their story. Um, I, and I think we, we forget that God is writing new gospels through us every day. 
and and that the 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 power of the gospel is still being written just like we're still finding 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 writings that were never a part of the canon of scripture. Um, and we're finding new writings that still tell us even more about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and I love that. But I loved what you said. Chad, you said, it. we give it the authority. How did you say that? We give it, we choose the authority we give it. Like, Right. We give and, it that way. And I will say, I'm going to go out on a limb here. <laughs> Uh, we choose the authority we give it and it's real authority is not that we can argue whether it's true or not. The real authority it is given is when we live by it, even when it's hard. Yeah, that's it. And I don't see enough of us living biblically. We're just arguing it's validity. Yep. You can quote scripture. We can't live it. Right. And, and I would say, that's the trauma of the church. What we have done to people is, is, is we have forgotten. It's the story of God, the father, son, and Holy spirit, who is first in what we believe first and foremost. And the Bible helps tell that story, but first and foremost, it's living in the power of God and God's love through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy spirit. And that when you want to know whether or not, you fit in a church, it, you can go to the, what about us? And where is the Bible versus that? Where is the story of God? And where is the story of Jesus and the power of the Holy spirit? Um, and I'll just leave it at that. But um, yeah. When you say that, it makes me think like um, these modern Christian kind of evangelical that, that worship that appear to worship the, they're kind of like ancient Gnostics the, there's the, can you memorize this scripture and can you fight people with this scripture that, that knowledge aspect, as opposed to uh, being so you, transformed by it. Right. And right. You know. well, and, and, and again, going back to the history of the canonization of scripture, of it being brought together, because it's a bunch of different writings. It's not one thing. Right, uh, right. Let's go back to Bible basics. It's, it's a lot of different writings over thousands and thousands of years that have come together and, and stories that were told verbally and, and passed on verbally first. Um, and, and then eventually written down. And so we've played telephone before, right? So, so exactly, you know, specific words and all of that. Um, but, but what we see in, in that story, we see in the way that people develop in their understanding and learn from those who went before them. And that canonization didn't come together until 1100, nearly. It's, it's, so, so we had, we had almost a thousand years of of, of Christianity alone, right, right. <laughs> that, that didn't have the Bible as we call it the Bible. Now they, they were definitely reading the writings. They had versions of it. They had, they had different collections, but that final canonization of the 66 books that we as Protestants read together was not something that was available to the, to the disciples. It was not even available in that way to the early Christians in the first few centuries of the, the common era. So, so even so, so to say that scripture is the centerpiece of Christianity negates a huge chunk of Christianity too. So that's just another historical piece that really, really we struggle with. Well, and, and again, I go back to coming back from Zoe and realizing, gosh, how I've said this to you guys, how they truly do live biblically. And it's, it's it in the, in the true sense of what 
I I think the early church tried to do in living as Christ taught them to do. It's just this beautiful way that makes me as an American go, Ooh, yeah, we, I have to let it have much more authority and weight in my life. Um, and, uh, and that's a beautiful thing because that means then I'm growing in my faith and I'm growing in my understanding of there's more that the Bible, that the Holy spirit wants to teach me in the Bible about how to change my life and live it differently, more like Jesus. Yeah. So much more to learn. Yeah. All right. So the next session, we're going to talk about the Bible some more, but we're going to use it to actually kind of, okay. So if we read it this way, if we understand it this way, how do we deal with issues of like equity and inclusion and, and what, are, what, are, how do we read it so that it informs us through reason, experience and tradition um, to understand how we theologically feel about things. Um, and so we'll be back next week.